podcast tackles controversies that define your world. Listen to Indubitably now. Extra, extra, read all about it. All right. Happy almost Thanksgiving and welcome to Indubitably's. What what do we what do we want to call this episode? I know it's hard to come up with a succinct way to kind of describe what we're doing. Succinct is overrated. How about how about the indubitably holiday dinner with your family who you disagree with about everything and judges all of your life choices debate survival guide? I don't I don't love it. <laughs> um all right, maybe I'll I think it. I think it does describe what we're doing. So that's it. Today we're gonna help you help yourself um, survive holiday dinner with your families. Hopefully. So for some of us, the holiday dinner brings up thoughts of stress, of potential trauma, of conflict, of eating. Hopefully, that's a part of it. But it can be a pretty awkward situation that could also erupt into some real tensions that need to be addressed. Mm. So as a debate podcast run by a couple of people with communication training, we thought maybe it would be useful for us to give y'all some strategies on how to survive slash emerge victorious from this season. You too can win Thanksgiving. <laughs> and I, I guess that's the, that's the first thing that we wanted to talk about in this episode, which is when you're going into the holidays and you're preparing for a debate or argument or discussion, discussion's a good, polite word, a a conference with your family, the first decision you have to make is, do you want to win? Do you want to change the minds of other people? Or are you trying to just keep the peace uh, while still hopefully upholding your morals and maintaining your sanity. It's ultimately going to come down to your specific context, the specific relationships you have with the people involved, and um, how much you want to preserve those relationships in a lot of cases. But depending on your level of fondness for confrontation, we we have a strategy for you. <laughs> how much do you love your family versus how much do you love being right? Oh, what a, what a Sophie's choice there. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that'll be an entire episode by itself. <laughs> do you want love or do you want victory? So here's what we're going to do for you today. We're going to go over some strategies that you can use. And these will be a combination of rhetorical strategies designed to improve your persuasive abilities and conflict management strategies to preserve your relationships and a little bit of everything in between just to help you navigate the sorts of discussions that you might be facing over this holiday season and to sort of accentuate the training Kelly and I will be undertaking some role play under each one to give you a real life example of the strategies that we've provided at work if this is going to be awkward <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i think we should probably have a disclaimer up front that we're going to say a lot of things that we don't believe in and we might undergo a lot of strategies that we wouldn't normally. So don't judge us. We are simply here to serve you the best we can and uh, willing to make ourselves look dumb to do it. (laughs) Always. I'm always willing to do that. (laughs) So um, let me see. Kelly, 
what is our first strategy going into the holiday debate season? So the first strategy we'd like to discuss today is trying to find some common ground in these disputes that might emerge in the holidays. And one of the ways that we're advocating to help you find that common ground is to identify goals that you and your adversary slash uncle probably have in common. Slash loved ones. I mean, (laughs) you would think that uncle means loved one, but I guess it varies. And I think that you'd be surprised, like no matter how far apart you and the person you're conversing with might seem at first, there's almost always some place where you're going to share common ground. I think you're right, Kelly. One of the one of the places you can look to frequently is in the goals that each of you have. Um, and specifically, I think that most people in any argument have a group of people that they are trying to help. And right off the bat, that's something that that everybody has in common. Right. So you might all be talking about different groups of people that you're specifically trying to help, but the motivation that you have towards helping specific groups of people is a shared motivation expressed in different ways. And Mm -hmm. if that isn't even a common goal that you can get to, there are probably other areas you can kind of peel back the layers and figure out what things you do both hold as values. Do you all agree that you love to be in America. Maybe that's a, a common thing that you can start from and look to the areas where you share a common value or a common interest, and then try to establish a respectful commonality with the dispute that you're having. Yeah. And I think what's convenient about this is the more passionate somebody is about a particular topic, probably that's rooted in a passion for a particular group of people. Right. If 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 an issue doesn't affect anybody, it's hard to really feel strongly about it. Um, so I think that recognizing that the you and the person you're talking to are coming to this conversation with a group of people that you care about in mind can be a really good starting point. So even if you're on opposing sides of a particular topic, you probably still, at least in some degree, care about the same stakeholders that they care about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I I think having a conversation about why you might be prioritizing a particular group over the group that they're prioritizing while still acknowledging that that group is important as well can can be a a, a healthy starting point for a discussion. Right. And I think that that also leaves room for if you cannot walk away in agreement, at least there is an established tone of respect. Mm-hmm. And that people know that they're not completely disregarding the things that you believe in. Mm-hmm. All right. So we're talking about it in theory. Why don't we move to our, our first role play? And in this role play, Josh, who's me, is going to be pro-liberalization of immigration policy. Because we all know that immigration is a fun topic to discuss at the holiday dinner table. And Kelly is going to be pro increased border security. Yep. I sure am. <laughs> why'd you take on a Southern, a uh, Southern drawl? All of a sudden I there? did not. <laughs> uh, Kelly, why'd you put a red hat on right now? Dare you. <laughs> You'll never be able to prove that it's false. Yeah, all right. So there are aunt Kelly, thousands of immigrants dying on the way to this country right now because of the draconian immigration policies that were started in the Trump administration 
just because they're trying to feed their families and seek out a better life for themselves. Well, that's the decision that they made to try to cross the border. Meanwhile, there are millions of Americans who also need a lot of support and that they are not getting prioritized if we think about people from beyond our borders. Yeah, but they're already in the country, right? They already have safety nets. They already have security, social security, et cetera, et cetera. Like these people are not at risk of starving to death. Like individuals coming from countries that we ravaged through the war on drugs, ignoring cartels, et cetera, right? These are the people we need to be caring about. But if we have to care about other people and people in our own borders, then there won't be enough to go around. So you're saying that you want Americans to starve so that you can feed people from other countries. All right. Look, I don't want anybody to starve. um, But right now, I don't I don't think. Well, you know what? Like Americans shouldn't be starving anyways. Um, There is plenty of money in the United States that could feed everybody. They could feed Americans, but they could also certainly feed these immigrants just because they're not American doesn't mean that they don't deserve to, you know, have a better life or have the opportunity for a better life as well. I don't want anybody to starve, but I'm thinking about we have limited resources and I don't think that it's actually true that we could feed literally everybody. So we have to make choices. Okay. But when people like Jeff Bezos are spending millions of dollars to fly to freaking space in their phallically shaped rocket ship, you're seriously going to tell me that we don't have enough money to feed not just the Americans that you're worried about and secure them their jobs but also people who are literally dying in the desert on the way over here. Like I understand that Jeff Bezos has more money than he could ever spend, but I don't see how that relates to this issue. Well, no, 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 that that, that totally rates. And I think then Jeff Bezos is the perfect example because look, you're going to sit here and you're going to try and convince me that working class Americans are being put out of their jobs because of immigrants when really automation and the shift to everything being done by robots is what's more likely to put them out of their jobs, right? Like, don't try to blame this on immigrants when it's obviously people that are making billions of dollars off of outsourcing and automation and benefiting from the pandemic who are the real problem. So what are we going to do about people like Jeff Bezos? Eat them. I mean, tax them, eat the rich, behead the rich. Okay, at least tax the rich. If you think that that's actually going to make it so that we can keep all Americans fed and happy and take care of people from outside of the border. Do you think that would actually be a good solution for these problems? I think it's better than a immigrants ending up, you know, missing in the desert and their families have no idea what happened to them when they tried to make it to America or, you know what, fine. Like, you know, the people you're worried about too, I'm, I'm pretty sure that if they're worried about their jobs and they're worried about their pay, it probably makes a lot more sense for them to look to, the millionaires, millionaires, the billionaires in the country, uh, not the people who are coming across the border. I guess you're right. I guess I guess we really do have a solution that means we don't need to turn people away at the border. First, we're, we're going to start taxing people appropriately. Oh, friendship. <laughs> All right. So role play scenario number one. Uh, I, I think, uh, you know, hopefully what we're able to do there is by realizing that each of the groups that we care about is not actually the problem um, and, and, and injecting a little bit of humanity and realizing that really it's the rich that should be eaten slash taxed. I'm, I'm hungry. It's almost Thanksgiving. Yeah. I just want to say that that scenario is a very accelerated version of the, how that conversation would probably have to go <laughs> to get people from not being a fan of 
non-Americans all the way to taxing Jeff Bezos, who is like the most American American. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. Uh, we're, we're, we're trying to give you guys some uh, strategies that you can use with at least a little bit of context. Yes. In terms of how it might play out. So hopefully you can take that and extrapolate it. If it does not, if it does not take you two minutes, but rather takes you a lot longer. Just do not sue us is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> Add more alcohol. Mm. <laughs> All right. Um, so strategy number one was identify common ground. And a good place to start with that sometimes is identifying the group of people that you're each trying to help and see if you can build off of there, find some commonality. Um, strategy number two is going to be understanding the facts. And we're going to break this one up into two parts. First part is going to be cooperative. If you're trying to have a productive debate and still maintain family relationships, and the second part is going to be adversarial, where you would like to emerge from the holidays, the rhetorical victor of your clan. So in either case, preparation is key. Know your shit. If, if you have certain topics that you know are going to come up in your family and you want to be able to go into these debates and, and have a chance to survive and come out victorious, you should be prepared and understand the facts. And I think this is actually probably a pretty easy one for a lot of people who see the same family year over year to actually prepare for, because you should know what are the common topics of, of discussion, like mm -hmm. the, I don't know, very offensive person who always comes to the dinner table talking about immigration, for example, but other topics too, that might be something that just perpetually get brought up, but they don't ever seem to really go anywhere. You can take an active stance to try to help form a conclusion in, in this discussion by doing some research ahead of time. I think mm -hmm. you should probably research these issues anyway, but <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. And one good way to research is to listen to our podcast. Anyway, quick plug. Um, so, and I think this one's Quick interesting plug for the podcast they're already listening to. <laughs> All right. That might not be the most effective advertisement <laughs> tactic, but whatever. Um, so, I mean, share it to other people who need to research yeah. anyways. So I think that this is something that's, that's kind of been exacerbated in the last, uh, decade or so with the, I suppose, invention of fake news. And it's interesting because now we have quote unquote debates where people can't agree on basic facts and basic premises. And, and just to be blunt, you cannot have a debate if both sides can't at least accept certain premises as being true. I think an example of that to just talk about an issue that we've already spoken about um, that we cannot find a reasonable way to debate because the premises aren't shared would be like flat earthers. Like you can't have a, a discussion mm -hmm. there because people are not going to be agreeing on the basic premise of reality in that, in that sense. Mm -hmm. Or to, to, to kind of rewind the episode a bit and bring back up immigration so that we don't spoil some of the stuff we've got coming up for you. Um, under the last immigration conversation we just had, you know, maybe looking up the data on how many jobs are being lost to immigrants versus how many jobs are being shipped overseas versus how many jobs are being lost to automation, I think would be really useful information to have going into a conversation like that. And like, like, like you said, Kelly, if, if immigration is a topic in your family, you know, immigration is going to be a topic in your family. Another thing to keep in mind is likely the people in your family have also done a little bit of reading or 
exposure to some media that they are holding on to as their facts come into play. So it's also, I think, valuable to look at where they're getting their information and determine if that's a credible source or not. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if your family member who only watches Fox News relies on that very heavily, then they might benefit from being informed about other things that are also reputable. Mm-hmm. There's, other, there's other news organizations that are not on the complete opposite side of the spectrum that they may be willing to actually engage with and, and accept facts presented by those sources. Right. Because if you if you come up to them and you start citing NPR, which is a, a pretty strong liberal bias, uh, again, you're not going to do what we're suggesting here, which is establish some common ground uh, in this in this particular strategy when it comes to the premise that you're beginning the conversation from or the facts that you're basing your opinions on. So maybe seeing if the the two of you can find a place of agreement from which to build your arguments would be useful. And to be perfectly honest, this next suggestion is going to take a certain degree of open-mindedness between you and the family member, which is why this is under the cooperative strategy. Um, but it might be useful to give homework to, to your family member and, and in turn take homework. You know, I, here's an article that I've read. I think you should go and, and give it a chance because you know you're going to see him again in a month in Christmas, right? And then, then you can have the actual debate. Yeah, this is going to require some good faith on, on the part of both people involved. This may mean that you end up having to read something from a source that you previously would not have considered. And your, your own horizons might be expanded as well. So you have to be willing to accept the possibility that your mind can be changed in this process. Mm-hmm. Obviously, this episode, we're making a little bit of a spoof about the, the warring family. But I think that the, the healthiest families are the ones that are able to expand each other's world's views when they do have differences in opinions, as opposed to like, you know, tearing each other down. So I guess the goal here would be to try and get back to a, a place and have the kind of debate that we were able to have before this concept of fake news came around, where we just disagree on facts. And we don't necessarily have a, a role play for this particular segment, but I did want to bring up an example that I thought was pertinent, which would be, you know, we all know where the fake news began. So let's look before that when um, Barack Obama had a presidential campaign against John McCain. And I remember in one of the John McCain's town hall meetings, a lady asked him just directly, I can't trust Barack Obama because I heard that he's an Arab. And if this was any of the presidential campaigns in the last eight years, we, we probably know how that scenario would play out. I remember John McCain saying, no, ma'am, he is a decent family man and citizen that I just happen to have disagreements with on fundamental issues. And that's what the campaign's about. He's not an Arab. I think this demonstrates the ability to veer away from getting into hyperbole with an argument and um, into disputed factual territory and refocus it on what the actual fundamental issues were and shut the door on all of the irrelevant stuff that detracts from what the core controversies and main values are that people want to discuss. Mm -hmm. And I I think that when when we've moved in the wrong direction, one thing that happens is people reverse engineer facts to support the claims that they'd like to make rather than deciding on claims based on the facts that are actually there. So 
if you are trying to show that Barack Obama is unpatriotic, it would be convenient if he was not American. So you reverse engineer a fact that he is not American, as opposed to John McCain, who's saying here, hey, look, he's a family man. He's a decent citizen. He, he is American. There's no question over that. But despite that, I have a disagreement with him on fundamental issues. So let's talk about the issues. Let's not disagree about facts that are made up. And like we've said, this relies on an assumption that people are actually willing to do the work and preserve their relationships and have a collaborative, cooperative agreement on sharing the burden of doing the research. And sometimes you don't actually want to keep the peace that much. And (laughs) uh, you'd rather be right than have harmony. And that's when things can veer into the adversarial territory when discussing disputed facts. I'm very competitive. I I mean, I want to (laughs) win. At the expense of keeping your family relationships strong? If I can go after Thanksgiving and make myself a trophy that says Martin family debate champion, I'm, I'm totally good with that. You can do that without actually like no one's going to like interrogate you at the trophy store. <laughs> That's true. That's true. They're already questioning why I come in every year for my set, my, my new set of trophies. <laughs> so I think again, again, so let's, let's talk a little bit. Let's talk adversarial here. Uh, again, you got to do your research ahead of time, but I think the strategy here, as opposed to collaborating with the person you're conversing with and trying to find common ground when it comes to the facts, is to just make them look dumb. And the best way to make them look dumb is to make them provide actual data or information to support their claim, because 99% of the time, they are not going to be able to do it. This is a strategy that may make you feel really good (laughs) because you're going to make somebody else feel probably real bad. And this is probably going to result in like your grandma calling you and being a little upset with you. But if this is a strategy you want to utilize, it's effective. I mean, what else are the holidays for? Kelly? Hmm. (laughs) All right. So consumerism. (laughs) That's true. That's true too. So role play number two. We're going to be talking about climate change. And in this scenario, Kelly is going to be in the climate change is real camp. And I am going to be in the climate change is made up camp. So you're telling me you don't see any reason to believe that the climate is actually changing as a result of human activity. Did you see the cities last year that had some of the coldest temperatures on record? If if global warming is real, then why are things getting colder? Well, they're talking about it as climate change now, not just global warming, because it's changing things to such a strong degree that people are getting really extreme weather in places they wouldn't expect it. I just don't think that you really understand the science you're talking about. I don't think anybody understands the science. I think it's just political and it's just convenient for people to talk about this. And I'm not buying any of it. You don't see anything when it comes to the increased levels of hurricanes in in the Gulf of Mexico or the the more severe storm seasons across the country. You don't see any of that changing in the news. None of of that's all of that's going to change. That's just that's just the earth. That's just I mean, if you understood anything about just the way that the earth works, I, I think that you would understand that that's just natural. That's how it happens. 
if I understood anything about how the earth works, you seriously want to come to me with that sort of accusation? Yeah. Okay. I don't think you really know anything about climate change. Okay. Well, I, I know probably at least as much as you do. I, I'm just not turning into a political issue. Okay. What's the IPCC report? Uh, uh, the what? The IP what? IPCC report. I don't know. I don't know. What? You don't know what those letters stand for. You don't know what it does. You don't know anything about it. No. So? I think that it's important that you know these things if you're claiming that I'm the one who doesn't know anything about climate change. Okay, but you don't know what that is either. I absolutely know what it is. Like it says right at the beginning of the report that it's unequivocal that human influence has warmed the atmosphere, ocean, and land. Okay, that's just one person's opinion. That's just that's just that's not even a fact. That's still an opinion. Okay, it's a, an opinion from climate scientists who like come together and agree on these sorts of things. But okay, that aside, that aside, do you know how much sea levels have risen? No. But okay, I don't. I don't see why that. It's it could just be natural. It's natural. It's natural that since 1870 they've risen by about eight inches. Yes, I don't know. Do you know how much the average temperature has risen in the United States? Not much. Not much. Okay, three point six degrees Fahrenheit probably doesn't sound like a lot, but. Globally speaking, that has like a pretty dramatic effect on on temperatures. Okay, but uh, that that's just you know happening regardless. That doesn't mean it's our fault. I don't think you know what you're talking about. I think you think you know what you're talking about, but you don't. I okay, but I don't I don't need to know this stuff to know that I don't know. I haven't seen a change in it. So okay, so you really think you can have a debate about climate change? when you personally have not seen any actual evidence and have not done any actual research outside of your own lived experiences. So you're saying that you basically don't know shit about this. Uh, I think I know. Uh, hold on. I need to go carve the turkey now. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Fuck. I lost. So I lost that debate. So bottom line, if you want to make your family members feel stupid, do a little bit of research ahead of time ask them the questions, put the onus on them to try and answer and enjoy the benefits as they crumble under your pressure. This is, this is hard to do if you actually care about the people you're talking with. Um, (laughs) Not if you want trophies. (laughs) I I know you have to make that, you have to make that decision, but people um, outside of this debate will probably look at you as being pretentious or Mm. trying to like, they know what you're doing. They know that you're trying to make someone look stupid. So you have to be really willing to accept that as a possible outcome. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, but you want to win Thanksgiving, Josh, I know. <laughs> well, okay. So this is why we start the episode by saying, you know, it's important. I think that you go into these scenarios kind of knowing what your goals are. You know, do you want to win? Do you want to change minds of the person that you're arguing with? Do you want to change the minds of your other family members who might be undecided? and listening to this discussion, or are you just trying to keep the peace? So I, I think under this idea of understanding the facts, we've given you a cooperative scenario where you can both do the work to come to an agreement on the facts and then have a discussion. We've given you the adversarial scenario where you can just beat somebody over the head with the facts that you know and they don't. Um, and I think that your other option here is you can focus the debate 
on the real controversy, you know, i.e. the real discussion that you should be having, which let's say that the person you have the discussion with did do the work. You, you both said to each other, here's some stuff for you to read that shows you my side. You come back together. Let's say it's Christmas now, a month later, and you can have a, you can have a real discussion on the topic. And I, I think that this would be the best case scenario. It would be a, a pretty ideal scenario. And it, it would be nice if we can all respectfully disagree with our relatives and um, walk away, maybe still holding diverse opinions, but at least showing that we're willing to engage with the topic without having a major blowout. Okay, so let's do this. Let's go back to that same role play. Kelly believes in climate change. Josh believes less in climate change after he's read the research. And what kind of conversation can we have about it in that scenario, in contrast to the conversation, if we want to call it that, that we just had? Hey, Josh, Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry, it's been good. Uh, how have you been since Thanksgiving? I, it's been great, you know, doing a lot of shopping, being a good, good little capitalist. But uh, mm. before we get into like actual holiday stuff, I just wanted <laughs> to check in with you and see like, hey, did you read any of those articles I recommended to you? Okay, I did. And yeah, yeah I mean, some of the stats and, and, and some of the information about the changing climate, uh, I'll give you is a little bit scary. I'm, okay. I'm still I'm still not convinced that there's much we can do about it though. I that's a fair point. I think a lot of people are concerned that there may be very little that we can do to reverse any of the things that have happened. Mm. And I'm also I'm also you, you know like 3 you're right, 3.6 degrees is, is a change and and you know over time that that's going to cause problems but also how much are we willing to sacrifice our economy now? Like, what do you, you want to give up oil or you want to give up fossil fuels completely? Like, I don't know if it's worth it. And that's a fair point too. I think a lot of people are concerned about how much we're really worried about the future and how much should we instead be worried about right now? So those are, you know, those are important questions to ask when we're engaging with this issue. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, are you, are you willing to give up just, just, cut our dependence on fossil fuels? I personally think that it would be worth it. I think that the evidence is overwhelming that fossil fuels are a major contributor to climate change, and we really need to stop it in its tracks immediately. Okay, sure. But there's, there's families and literally entire cities that are built around mining or built around drilling. You're just going to hang them out to dry for something no. that might happen in 100 years? No, I'm saying they're probably going to be climate refugees if we don't do something soon. And I think one way that we can, you know, transition away from fossil fuels and take care of all those people who might be vulnerable at the, uh, when we take away fossil fuels, maybe we could just text Jeff Bezos about it. <laughs> this is going to be our solution for every, uh, for everything. Um, what, okay. One thing I did read, uh, sorry, we broke, we broke character for a second. What, um, <laughs> back in character, back in Okay. Mm. Um, one thing I did read about, I don't know, I don't know if you've read much about this was, is a uh, carbon taxes. And I actually think I, I don't, I don't want the people who who've spent their life in, in the mines and that's their industry. You know, that's all that they know. If we just take that away from them, they don't have a lot of options, uh, you know, other things that they can do, but carbon taxes might be a way to take some, you know, bigger businesses that, that can take the hit 
and start improving the environment without just screwing over people's lives? Yeah. After we spoke at Thanksgiving, I actually did a little more reading on different ways that people can combat climate change as well. And I also read a little bit about carbon taxes. And I think that they're a really good way to balance the interests of business and the climate with a solution that works on a market level rather than, you know, like a very severe policy level that might disenfranchise poor people. Mm. Can, can we at least both agree that Greta Thunberg is a little bit annoying? Yeah. <laughs> look at how, <laughs> look at how cooperative we're being now. So um, I, I think that this, uh, this little scenario here hopefully uh, plays out in contrast to the first couple that we've offered you guys. Um, this is, I think this would be really, I, I, that's the kind of family I'd want to be in. Honestly, you show up on Thanksgiving, start to have an argument, go home, do your research, actually give the other side a fair go and then come back and really highlight where the disagreement is and try and find a compromise that, that is best for everybody. And then try to like tune out your mom yelling from the kitchen. Are you guys still talking about this? <laughs> I wish our uh, I wish our government were to listen to this episode. Maybe we could get some uh, compromise there too. Mm-hmm. All right. So our next tip we have covered: finding common ground by caring about each other's stakeholders. Finding common ground when it comes to facts. Um, the next strategy is just understanding that everything is comparative. Things don't happen in a vacuum. And I think this A helps you win debates, but also B helps foster more productive discussions. Okay, so so what do I mean by this? It's really easy to say that Trump is horrible. It's really easy to say that Biden is horrible. But but that discussion in a vacuum is not realistic. Right? A more realistic discussion would be is Trump better or worse than option B? Or is Biden better or worse than option B? And having that more comparative discussion, I think is going to be more productive and more realistic. I think this tactic means that you have to make some concessions that show you agree that your side is imperfect, that it's not the best possible solution because the best possible solution or best possible idea or best possible candidate or whatever don't actually exist. And, and that I think gets you a lot of credibility with people who disagree with you when you can have a discussion in which you admit the vulnerabilities of your own position. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Absolutist positions, I think, undermine the credibility of the person taking them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so one thing that we might look to just recently, like let's say the, the pandemic we're in, there is no place on earth that has been able to deal with the pandemic perfectly because the pandemic sucks. Like this is a horrible situation and there is no perfect solution, right? There's going to have to be sacrifices made somewhere, no matter what your way forward is. So to complain about policy A or politician B and how they're not able to wave a wand and fix the world makes you look a little bit unreasonable. I think it's always fun to kind of talk about like in a perfect world or the scenario in which something could happen that would be like the magic bullet and everything would be better. But that doesn't make you look like the best debater in the room. Hypothetically, I, I think I think that maybe establishing the perfect scenario might be useful in terms of giving you something to move 
or work towards. Sure. Right. So, so it could be useful as far as that goes, but saying that, okay, I hate the way that California has dealt with COVID because the economy took a 20% hit or whatever, um, is sort of an incomplete analysis, right? As opposed to this suggestion, this strategy, which is think comparatively saying that California had a 20% drop in their economy, as opposed to New Zealand, who only saw an 8% drop. Now, all of a sudden, you sound a lot more reasonable because you're saying, you know, I, I didn't expect California to be perfect. I don't expect a 0% drop, but there are places out there who have done much better with this scenario. And that's what I want to see. So in being able to look at things through that kind of lens and being able to understand the nuances, you can also look at the different contributing factors that led one thing to be preferable over another as well, which I think also help give you a framework towards finding your ideal solution. If you're complaining about how California's economy fared under the pandemic, as opposed to New Zealand, then you can start to look at the things that New Zealand actually did differently mm. and not just look at the, the baseline facts, but like go into the actual things that support how they got into that state that they're in. Right. As opposed to, this is what I mean by, I guess, in a vacuum, as opposed to California versus nothing, abstract concept. Now you have something to concrete to compare it to. Also, right. quick tip, if you use the word nuanced in any argument ever, instant credibility. It's, it's like the putting on glasses of words. <laughs> or the British accent. <laughs> yeah. On a British accent. <laughs> um, indubitably. God, we sound so smart when we say the name of our podcast in a British accent. I know, because I can hardly say it. <laughs> <laughs> Have you tried it with a British accent? Indubitably. Oh my God, see? So much better. All right, so <laughs> um, role play. We mentioned earlier, let's do this. The, the current, probably most popular controversy at the holiday dinner table. Josh is on team Trump. Kelly is on team Biden. And away we go. Josh, I can't believe you're wearing that red hat to the dinner table. Oh, oh, you mean you mean this hat that just wants to make things great again? Yeah. What's, what's we, wrong with that? I don't know. I think it's a real trigger for people like me to see that kind of hat. You know, he lost the election. Biden's in office now. Get over it. You don't want to make things great again? I'm saying Biden made things great again by beating Trump in that election. And I think that we've got such a great outlook in the country now. Biden is president. It's great. I think if you compare what Biden has done since taking office with what Trump was doing, it's fair to say the American people have made a mistake. Well, Trump was just absolutely awful. And especially considering how he responded to the pandemic, especially like he did not act soon enough. It just sucked overall. If, if Trump was left in control of everything with our pandemic response would be, we'd be even worse than, than we are right now. Okay. But like, take a second and compare what Trump went through to what Biden's going through, right? Trump had a new, a new pandemic. Nobody knew how bad it was going to get. Biden is in the middle of it, right? Like one, he inherited the efforts that Trump started in terms of development of vaccines. Two, he had a better understanding of the scenario and he's still doing a horrible job. The fact that he just is trying to mandate vaccines and basically the entire country is telling him how unconstitutional that is. It's a knee-jerk, desperate reaction to deal with this, as opposed to Trump that, yes, he started off slowly, but the world started off slowly. You can't talk about Trump just by himself without comparing him to 
how other people struggled with the same challenge. I think you can absolutely talk about Trump all by himself and talk about how he was objectively a horrible president. And even if it was a new pandemic under his control, he didn't listen to any scientists. He doesn't believe in science. And I think he was the worst thing that ever happened to this country. That's that's absolutely not true. It's not that Trump disregarded science. It's that Trump understands that we need to balance out a opening up the economy, which people's lives depend on just as much as they depend on being protected from the virus. Right. So he drew a balance between the multiple different issues that he was faced with at the time, as opposed to Biden, who just plays career politician with every decision that he makes. Like, Sure, he goes and and he signs this vaccine mandate because he thinks it'll make him look good. He goes to Copenhagen and he signs environmental uh, accords because he thinks it'll make it look good. It's all about image with him and there's no substance behind it. Like Trump made a conscientious effort to balance out the needs to protect the health of the American people with the needs to stabilize the economy in the worst global recession we might ever see. I can't believe you're still defending him on this issue and the fact that he, you know, was so horrible for our foreign policy and international relations, like all across the board, he was just a terrible president. Okay. Let's talk about international relations for a second, because again, there are conflicts going on around the world that there are no good solution to. Right. And so let's take the middle East, for example, people criticize Trump for reducing American influence inside of the middle East, but then look at Biden. This is probably the biggest failure of the Biden administration was in Afghanistan, where, again, for politically motivated reasons, he decided, let's just pull the entire army out of Afghanistan. And now that country is crumbling and real people in the country are suffering because of it. People are dying. People are being kidnapped. Women are having their rights taken away. You can't blame Trump for not having a perfect solution to a horrible scenario and then ignore the fact that Biden is doing significantly worse. Well, I guess I guess I can agree that at least Afghanistan was in a more stable situation before Biden made that decision. Mm-hmm. You want to borrow my red hat? Hey, now, come on. <laughs> all right. All right. So um, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, you know, we give an example here of by being comparative and not speaking in absolute terms. You seem A, like the more reasonable, B, like the more nuanced, and C, add that extra trophy to your wall. Now, we've talked about various ways in which you can have these conversations and protect relationships that you have, or maybe those relationships are not that important to you. So it's okay to undermine them a little bit for the sake of winning the argument at the Mm -hmm. table. But I mean, there's really one absolute way that you can scorch the earth and just say, like, I don't care about this relationship whatsoever. I'm 100% right. And mm, that is I wanna, just, I want to hear this. <laughs> just tear them apart and like call them every name in the book and just like absolutely wreck that relationship for good. Ooh, we're getting personal now, huh? Yeah, we are. <laughs> oh, boy. And I think that's probably the key. If you want to if you want to use uh, what would be called, to give you the official terms, an ad hominem attack, the whoa, key... Whoa, whoa. Is that Latin? <laughs> whoa, whoa. We, we, yeah, we, we, we actually do publish each episode with a Latin version, um, you know, just to be pretentious. That's, that's not true. Uh, the key to good name calling is to make it really personal. You got to get them off their game. And it's not just, you know, calling them a specific name that is necessarily the advocacy of this type of tactic, but it's really, you know, 
calling their character into question too, you know, dragging them on aspects that are really sensitive issues for them. That's a really effective way to win an argument. <laughs> well, okay. Yeah. And to be clear here, I don't think we're necessarily winning the arguments so much as just making the other person rage quit and leave. And then you feel like you've won the argument. I mean, and that's almost as good, right? <laughs> at least you can, yeah, at least you can tell yourself that you won. So let's do this. Let's talk about, I think, a, a, a topic where this might be a particularly effective strategy. And that would be kneeling during the national anthem. So I am going to be anti-kneeling during the national anthem. I hate those unpatriotic mother people. And Kelly is in support of individuals who feel as though kneeling during the national anthem is a legitimate way of protesting. Because, moving into the role play, you hate the troops. I don't hate the troops. I just have to say that when I saw Megan Rapino kneel in support of players like Colin Kaepernick and the larger issue of racial injustice in this country, I thought it was a very peaceful and poignant way to point out injustice. Okay. But pointing out other people that also hate the troops, right? None of them have ever served. None of them have put their lives on the line. And then they take the sacrifices our soldiers have made overseas and just basically spit at them and disrespect our flag is ridiculous. No, it's not disrespecting the flag. It's bringing attention to a social issue in a very respectful way. And it's nobody hates the troops in this scenario. No, no one you hates hate, America. You I don't hate, hate the, the troops. troops. You hate the troops and you're unpatriotic and you hate America. That's absolutely not true. I think I love America, and that's why I want it to be better for people. If you loved America, you would show respect to the flag that people have died for. I think that I'm showing plenty of respect for it, even if I'm not standing during the anthem. How are you showing respect when you're literally lowering yourself? The idea of standing during the national anthem is that I will stand up, give it my full attention. I'm not going to be lazy sitting on one knee while the national anthem is playing or the flag is flying. I think it shows that I'm at a point of reflection, that I am really taking in the moment of being an American who also has criticism about America. Well, that's because you're a bitch. Excuse me? You heard me. If by bitch, you mean that I've won this debate and you can't think of anything else to say other than to start calling me names, then yeah, I guess I am a bitch. <laughs> All right. So I'll leave. Uh up to our listeners to decide who just won that particular role play. But I'll tell you, I, I'm leaving feeling pretty good about proving to Kelly how unpatriotic she is. I'm leaving feeling like, I don't know if I want to continue this podcast. <laughs> oh, wow. It's a role play. Okay. I know, but it felt so personal. <laughs> Disclaimer, uh, thoughts and opinions shared by Josh and Kelly during role play are not our own. <laughs> We're fine. It's all cool. <laughs> all right. So our last tactic, very important tactic, or at least thing to consider, if none of your rhetorical strategies have worked, uh, the, the, the next thing you should ask yourself is, can you beat them up? Um, in most cases, I would say you probably can't. <laughs> all right. Maybe if it comes to that, you should probably try to avoid the conflict altogether. And I suppose this would, this would be our last suggestion is to just try to avoid these conversations. But um, I think it's important to recognize, like we do understand that sometimes you feel like you have to say something, right? If, if the arguments, quote unquote, or the stances that people are making 
really make you uncomfortable or you feel really undermine a particular group or cause that you feel strongly about, it can be really difficult to just sit down and shut up. But I think that that might be sometimes a very self-preserving decision, even if you don't specifically speak up. I mean, how much are you really moving the needle on the national debate if you're going to call out your cousin for being like a dick in this one specific instance? Is it really worth it? And Mm. maybe maybe it is, but sometimes it might not be. And it might be a better tactic to just avoid getting into the full controversy and just pulling yourself out of that situation. And, and even equipped with our survival guide, there's no guarantee you're going to be able to change people's minds this holiday season. If we, if we offered a guarantee like that, we would probably definitely have some trouble on our hands. <laughs> so, okay, let's, let's say I, I want to avoid the conversations, but I know it's going to be really difficult for me to hear some of the things that I am well aware are going to be said. How do I prepare myself for this? Well, I I think that there are several ways that you can really alter your environment or remove yourself from the environment to try to adjust the conversation by not being a part of it. And I like the going to my old bedroom, which is now a sewing room, but just taking a few minutes behind a closed door and just like not engaging with that group for the moment while they're getting out whatever awful things that they want to say. (laughs) <laughs> this is the uh, screaming into a pillow tactic in your old bedroom. Yeah. Yeah. I also think you can, there's some mental preparation that you can do ahead of time. You, you know, like we've referenced a couple of times in the episode, I, I think most controversies, most family controversies do not come out of nowhere. <laughs> a lot of times it is the same argument, holiday season after holiday season after holiday season, which is what makes it so infuriating, which is why emotions are so high because you're just building off of an argument that you've already had a dozen times before. So mentally preparing for these things ahead of time, I think definitely can help. I also think a really useful thing to have is if you don't have anybody in the room or at your family's house or wherever the event is happening, you probably still have someone you can reach out to who's not there and just kind of get a sympathetic ear in on the discussion like texting your friend, like, I cannot believe what someone just said, <laughs> or in my case, tweeting about it, because that's where all of my communication happens. Mm. Um, it's a, it's good to have an outlet if you need to say something, but you know that you really are not best served by saying something out loud in that situation. Thank God for social media. If you need somebody to vent to, you oh. could always message us on Facebook at IndubitablyPod or on Twitter at indubitably pod and we promise to read your messages and also if you have an argument we will we will give you counter arguments to anything that you message to us we will be your personal debate coaches live thanksgiving day debate coaching from your hosts at indubitably uh anyway plug over i already get yelled at enough for being on my phone during thanksgiving (laughs) (laughs) that's better than being yelled at for your worldview and convictions And a final way to avoid the conflict, but still actually stay engaged with the people who are there so you don't look like you're avoiding the actual family or the people who are involved in this discussion, is you can also change the subject. If you um, are very subtle and not very demanding about it, it can be a pretty smooth transition and you can talk about things that you all hold as the same values, the same things that you prioritize. Maybe talk about like that embarrassing time someone 
got drunk at the family reunion and then they fell in the pool. Wasn't that great? And then they <laughs> want this, you is this to something talk? from your family, Kelly? Nope. Because uh, my brother helps steer that person away from the pool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think even if you even if you can't be subtle about it, I think there's also a certain point where you can just say, look, we're all about to argue. Why don't we not focus on our disagreements? The world is nuts right now. We should be thankful to be here together. And, you know, like, let's be real. That's that's what the holiday is supposed to be for. It's literally called Thanksgiving. Right. And I, I don't think the, the the areas of the world where you hate each other are the things you're going to be giving thanks over. So thankfully, um, most people do try to keep the peace during Thanksgiving and actually have like a joyful time with the people that they care about. It actually turns out that despite the fact that we all brace ourselves for a stressful holiday season, arguments themselves, especially political ones, are actually really not that prevalent in holiday discussions. Um, but for those people who have to endure it, the the minority that have to endure it, it can be really, really traumatic. And I think that's what prompted us to have this discussion today is to give some people who otherwise find themselves adrift in these sorts of situations uh, a lifeline so mm-hmm. that they can get out of the conversation alive. I think that that might be what makes this so stressful for people is because you go into the holidays thinking this should be the best time of the year. This should be my best interaction with my family members, right? I'm, I'm surrounded by people that theoretically I should love, even if I hate them for brief moments in time. Um, and so it really sucks when those holiday moments do turn into a scenario defined by conflict and argument. And even if there are other people who are making it into a conflict-filled situation, you don't have to feed into it. You can try to keep the peace and not start arguments at the very bare minimum, but also just try to be like nice and enjoy the time. And I think that there are um, important conversations to talk about when, why is it that this holiday seems to be like especially stressful and lead to these sorts of arguments Mm. and the actual work that goes into creating a Thanksgiving is largely done by women in the household. And I think a really important conversation to have is how do we try to reduce the stress of the people involved? And especially like when your mom has been sitting there cooking all day and then she has to hear your like horrible opinions. Like maybe that's not the right time. (laughs) After slaving over a a 400 degree oven for seven hours to make a turkey, make a turkey to (laughs) cook a turkey. This shows how much I know about cooking Thanksgiving dinner. I actually made a turkey out of tofu once. Oh, really? Okay. (laughs) <laughs> it was interesting. <laughs> All right, fair enough. That's probably a probably a good way of uh, putting it. One of the things that would help keep the piece better is to just start off with everybody contributing to the best of their ability to make sure that no one person is saddled with all the responsibilities of making the holiday happen. And at a bare minimum, don't actively sleep in front of the person who's doing all of the work to get the food on the table. I know that like there's football and there's beer and it's cozy inside the house, but like it definitely shows an inequity if somebody's totally able to veg out while the other person's been in the kitchen for like hours. <laughs> and then and then that person wakes up just in time to start a disagreement over some controversial issue. <laughs> awesome. And then wonders why people get mad at them. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> Um, I, I also think that it might be important to recognize, right? We, we, we have these debates and, you know, we've got people pretty far apart from each other on both sides of it. 
might be useful to recognize if you do have a particular family member who is in the minority on any one subject and just be cognizant of the fact that they are there. And maybe there, there is an infinite number of things you can talk about on this planet and off the planet. And it doesn't have to be the one that's going to single out and ostracize that family member that doesn't share the same viewpoint as the rest of the clan. And well, when all else fails, if you're finding it's difficult to keep the peace, even with all these strategies, maybe you don't drink as much every year. I think that <laughs> that alone is probably a pretty big contributor to some of the discussions and arguments that happen around or the table. Maybe you need to drink a little bit more. Ugh, I would not recommend that. <laughs> all right. So hopefully this, um, what did we call it? Our indubitably holiday dinner with your family who you disagree with about everything and judges all of your life choices debate survival guide was helpful to you. We hope you have a fantastic Thanksgiving and we look forward to seeing you all and hearing the reports of the debates you've won, the trophies you've accumulated, and hopefully the relationships you've maintained over the season. Happy holidays. In the spirit of the holiday, I'm thankful for the technology to edit out all of the dumb stuff that we say while we're recording. But for your amusement, here's a couple of bloopers. I feel dirty. I that I don't like any of that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but Trump has done I okay. This is so hard. <laughs> Hold on, we should think about this one. I've I think won. That, yeah, 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 you're not supposed to win. Well, I guess we just probably don't have to see each other at Thanksgiving ever again. <laughs> you want to use that line, uh, if by a bitch you mean oh, I won Oh, that's this? right. I... <laughs> okay. <laughs> call me, call uh, me yeah. a bitch again. <laughs> <Do> I... <laughs>